Welcome to today's Journal Club. Thanks for attending. We will get started at the top of the hour. Well, welcome to today's Journal Club webinar um, presented by uh, SNEB, and we're featuring um, articles and authors from the Journal of Nutrition, Education, and Behavior. Uh, my name is Rachel Dager. I'm the Executive Director of SNEB, and glad you're joining us today. I'll start with a little housekeeping. Um, I do have the presentation slides, and I'll drop those in the chat block. Uh, so everyone can download those slides and follow along during the presentation. Uh, we will take uh, questions at the end of the presentation, so please type those in the Q&A block uh, so we can moderate questions to our presenter. Uh, when I end the webinar today, there's a short survey, and we appreciate your feedback on this session, as well as ideas for future webinars. And then watch for a follow-up email. Um, it should come out tomorrow, and it does come from Zoom, which I know is getting hung up, I think, to some people. So if for some reason it gets to be Wednesday or Thursday and you have not seen a follow-up um, email that includes the link to the recording, the handout, and then the CEU certificate, um, just reach out to info at sneb.org, and we'll make sure to um, get, get that material over to you. Uh, so I will turn things over to our moderator, um, Dr. Kristen DiFilippo, who is the assistant teaching assistant professor at the University of Illinois. And 
it looks like we may have a guest moderator for the next two sessions, uh, which will be the end of Journal Club. So I want to say a big thank you uh, to Kristen, who worked with the Digital Technology Division to organize this series, and so appreciative of all the work she does to help uh, present Journal Club. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. I uh, appreciate it. We have two great speakers today. Joanne Guthrie is a senior research nutritionist in the Food Assistant Research Branch of the Food Economics Division of ERS. She began her federal service career as a student employee at USD ARS Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. In addition, she worked with several other federal agencies, including the USDA's Center for Nutrition Policy and Promotion and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration before coming to ERS. She is also a former Peace Corps volunteer. She holds a master's degree, or master's of public health degree, and a doctoral degree in human nutrition. Stephanie Rogas is affiliated faculty in the Department of Family and Consumer Sciences at New Mexico State University. She earned a PhD from the Department of Nutrition and Food Studies at New York University and is a registered dietitian. She studies the economic, social, and environmental influences on food choice and impacts of food programs and policy on diet, quali diet quality. Today, they're going to be sharing their work on online grocery shopping, knowledge, attitudes, and behaviors of SNAP participants. I want to thank them both for being here with us today and sharing their work. At this point, I can pass it over to our speakers. Well, thank you so much, um, both to Kristen and Rachel for the great introduction and to SNAB for inviting us here to share our work with all of you. Um, so I'll be presenting our work today. Um, Joanne is, is here, she's, she joined us, she's one of my co-authors and she'll be um, available in the Q&A session to answer any questions as well. So this is a study that we conducted back in 2018 um, when I was still at New Mexico State University on online grocery shopping behaviors, knowledge and attitudes of SNAP participants. And then below you'll see the USDA disclaimer. Okay, so just to, to show uh, the nutrition educator competencies here, um, they're to assess the nutritional and behavioral needs of the population, facilitate communication from and between clients so they can express their beliefs and attitudes, define needs and share experiences, and analyze, evaluate, and interpret nutrition education research and apply it to practice. And neither of us have any, anything to disclose. So to give a little background um, on the study, uh, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP, um, is the largest food assistance program in the US. Uh, beneficiaries of SNAP receive monthly benefits in the form of dollars that are loaded onto electronic benefit transfer cards. And benefits can be redeemed at several approved retail outlets, such as grocery stores, convenience stores, gas stations, and farmers markets. And uh, until 2020, SNAP regulation required face-to-face -face transactions. So um, SNAP recipients had to physically go into the store and show their card to, in order to use their SNAP benefits. So policies aimed at improving food access in low-income populations, for low-income populations, um, have had varying degrees of success over the years. Um, and researchers and policymakers have promoted online grocery shopping as a way to, uh, as a possible way to alleviate issues of food access for certain populations, including older adults, individuals with disabilities, residents in rural areas, and those um, that don't have access to a vehicle. And particularly for SNAP uh, recipients, um, they're 
the uh, advantage of online grocery shopping is advancing decision, advanced decision making that can help promote planning and budgeting that supports food security, which also aligns with the goals of SNAP education. And um, it also might encourage healthier, more healthier food purchases um, through pre-ordering, which can strengthen the commitment uh, to make healthier choices. So the 2014 Farm Bill mandated a pilot test for retail stores to accept SNAP benefits online to test the feasibility and implications of, of doing so. And so it was mandated to begin in spring 2019. Uh, it was set to involve at least five online retailers in, it, in at least three states. And in 2017, USDA announced eight retailers that would participate um, in eight states. And so some of those retailers were Amazon, Walmart, and Safeway, among others. And the states that were going to participate in the pilot were Alabama, Iowa, Maryland, Nebraska, New York, New Jersey, Oregon, and, and Washington. So at the time of the study, SNAP recipients in New Mexico could not pay for their groceries online uh, using SNAP benefits because, you know, one, the pilot had not begun yet officially, and um, New Mexico is not one of the pilot states. So in anticipation of a policy that would allow SNAP recipients to redeem their benefits online, we felt that it was important to understand whether recipients would purchase groceries online and how they would do so. And so, you know, when we were doing a literature review um, to prepare for the study um, and, and created the protocol, there was really only one study that we found that had previously examined the attitudes, beliefs, motivators, and barriers around online grocery shopping among SNAP recipients. And that study took place in New York City. And it was actually conducted after an earlier online shopping pilot in, in the Bronx in New York was halted because um, there weren't enough participants purchasing groceries online using their SNAP benefits. So they conducted a qualitative study and uh, focus groups that was aimed to understand why recipients were not using their benefits online. And they found that there were barriers and, and motivators. So the barriers were perceptions that it was too expensive to buy groceries online, uh, a lack of control over the purchasing process, a skepticism about the quality of fresh produce that they would be getting online. Um, and then the motivators were quick or free delivery, um, offering sales, discounts, or coupons uh, through online purchasing. And so the objective of our study was to examine the attitudes of SNAP recipients around online shopping using a convenient sample of SNAP participants with children in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Okay, so um, this was an exploratory qualitative study. We conducted one hour focus groups uh, that, was guide, that were guided by the theory of planned behavior. Um, and so these really focused on, or our guide focused on knowledge of online grocery shopping options and attitudes around online grocery shopping. And we tested um, our guide that we created with a practice focus group made up of students at the university um, and then revised it following discussion about the appropriateness of the questions and the probes that we asked. And then for each of our focus groups, we conducted a post focus group survey that asked uh, questions to gather more information about household socioeconomic and demographic characteristics, um, as well as the number of internet capable devices in the household. And so we um, engaged in a purposive recruitment strategy. We partnered with organizations that 
serve and work with low-income individuals in Las Cruces um, because we didn't have access to a list of, of SNAP participants uh, throughout the state. This was the best way after many discussions with Cooperative Extension and others uh, to reach out and engage in the in um, individuals that were receiving SNAP benefits. And so we partnered with SL Start and Head Start in order to do this. And SL Start is an organization that works with TANF recipients or Temporary Assistance for Needy Families um, to find employment opportunities and to offer employment training. And then um, Head Start, hopefully most of you are aware of, of what that is, but it's a preschool program um, for families with, with low income, those that are experiencing homelessness and for military families. Um, and so we aimed for between four to 10 participants for each focus group. Um, and our inclusion criteria were participants had to be SNAP recipients over the age of 18 and the primary food shopper in the household. And we provided everyone a $10 incentive for participating. So we conducted focus groups in March, April, and May of 2018. Uh, all of the focus groups were video and audio recorded with consent from the participants uh, prior to, to recording. Um, and then our surveys were provided immediately after each focus group ended. And we uh, then transcribed um, and coded our, each of the focus groups in Word. Uh, we developed a code book and codes that we developed a priority, based, a priority based on the literature. And these were also based on factors that were affecting or may affect the intention to engage in online shopping. So again, based on the theory of planned behavior. So um, as an example, attitudes falls under the theory of planned behavior. And so one of our codes was perceived cost. Um, and then from there, we identified our themes. Um, and so when our information began repeating and no new themes were emerging, uh, our saturation was reached. And to enhance the trustworthiness, we engaged in member checking. So we summarized our major findings after each focus group um, verbally to the focus group members and asked for any feedback to make sure that we were adequately capturing um, what what they had said in the focus group and, and to so that they could correct us if, if anything um, was off. Um, and then we also debriefed with um, the rest of the research group as we were coding and, and developing our themes. Um, and we used multiple coders uh, to, to code each, uh, each uh, transcript. Okay, so starting, starting off with the results here, um, High level results. Uh, so there were four focus groups that we ended up conducting with three to six participants each. Um, the focus group characteristics are here in the table on the right. And uh, for the most part, our, our uh, focus group uh, was younger. So between 18 and 29 years. Um, gender, they most of them were female, as you might expect. Um, everyone had children in the household, but for the most part, it was between one and three children. The most participants had a monthly SNAP allotment of between $250 and $750 per month. Um, and most households had an, at least one internet capable device. And in total, we had um, 18 participants. So again, high level before we're getting into the themes, um, almost all of our participants were familiar with online shopping, but most were actually unaware that they could purchase groceries online. And so this isn't even purchasing groceries through some benefits, it's purchasing groceries at all. Um, and so, and most were also um, uninterested in purchasing groceries online. And 
you know, after, after talking to the participants over several focus groups, um, we gathered, you know, many of them sort of brought up their beliefs about, you know, online shopping and who, who it would be good for, um, stating that it would not be good for them, but maybe for older adults, individuals with disabilities and individuals without access to a vehicle. One participant said, that's pretty cool for disabled people, especially the pickup that you just go shop online and it's ready for pickup and they actually take the stuff to the car. I think that's pretty neat, but I won't use it. And another one said, there's like my parents that are stuck at home and it would definitely benefit them. It would take a responsibility of mine uh, off me if it was available to people who are handicapped or at home that could really benefit from online services with delivery. So now getting into our themes, um, and these were related to the attitudes that participants were expressing about online shopping. And so three of these themes emerged um, and they were barriers to online shopping, motivators of online shopping, and preferences around online shopping, grocery shopping in particular. And so uh, for the barriers of online shopping, these included perceptions around the cost of purchasing groceries online, quality control and transparency, and finally the enjoyment of the shopping experience. And so I'll talk a little bit more about each of these. So the first one, perceptions around the cost of purchasing groceries online. Um, there were a lot of participants, or at least several of them, uh, brought up issues or, or beliefs um, around online shopping that they felt that it might be more expensive than actually going to the store. Uh, some of them just, you know, didn't really provide a reason why they thought it would be more expensive, but that it just probably was more expensive. And others uh, focused on uh, the ex additional expense of delivery uh, when buying, per when purchasing groceries online. And so one participant said, since I have food stamps, how am I supposed to pay for the delivery? I guess you can go pick it up, but then you might as well go inside the store and get your groceries. So the second one was quality control and, and transparency, which was the most frequently mentioned barrier. Um, and so this is related to, uh, for the most part, employee selection, packing, and or transporting of groceries. Um, this participant said, I feel really sketched out by it. Like with my meat and vegetables, how do I know they're picking? It's still good. How long is it going to sit in this box until they call me like, oh, hey, your food's ready? And so as a whole, uh, the participants were fairly distrustful of grocery stores and felt that employees would not select the highest quality food items or items that participants would select for themselves. So an example of that is, you know, selecting a banana that's a little bit greener because they want to eat it later on in the week. Uh, participants didn't feel like someone at the grocery store would know to pick, pick that out for them. And then finally, uh, enjoyment of the shopping experience. And this is something I'll talk a little bit more about later, but this was mentioned by about half of the participants without any sort of prompting whatsoever. But um, it, it seemed that some of the participants felt like it provided an opportunity that grocery shopping in the store provided an opportunity to spend time with family and significant others. And one participant stated, the reason why I like to go shopping with my kids is because I get out of the house, I, I spend quality time with them. So now the motivators of online grocery shopping. So uh, most of our participants stated that they would be willing to try online shopping if additional services were available. And so we categorized them as convenience or added value and budgeting. And so under convenience or added value, uh, participants mentioned filters for dietary restrictions or special diets, 
recipe suggestions based on previous purchases and dietary restrictions, and access to an expert for questions about how to prepare foods. And then under budgeting, um, participants mentioned discounts on foods purchased online and, and highlighting sales items. And one participant, I think, summed this up pretty well. They got to make it better than we can on our own. And then finally, preferences around online grocery shopping. Uh, there were two sort of main preferences that, that came up among um, the participants in the focus groups. The first one was around delivery or pickup, and most of the participants preferred delivery to pickup. And then their preferences around delivery were narrow delivery windows, no fees, and no minimum order requirements. And then um, most of our participants stated that they would uh, purchase non-perishable and bulk items, but they would be less likely to purchase most perishable items like fruits and vegetables, dairy, eggs, and meat. And one participant said, I feel like that'd be a good supplement. I would definitely buy dry goods or non-perishable items, but produce, I don't think I would buy produce. Okay, and finally, um, to sum all of it up, uh, broadly, you know, what we saw was little interest in shopping online for groceries among participants. Um, despite the perceived barriers, however, there were some motivators that came up that included additional services and opportunities for lowering the cost. Um, and the results really did align with the one study uh, um, that looked at SNAP uh, recipient attitudes around online grocery shopping, which um, as mentioned earlier, cited barriers to use, including lack of control over product quality, lack of transparency around the delivery times, and returns, and the process in general, uh, perceptions that it's too expensive, and unwillingness to buy perishable foods, and then the motivators to use that included uh, fast and free delivery um, and discounts. And some notable findings that uh, I wanted to touch on was that, um, you know, we expected that participants might find online shopping to be convenient, yet most of them were uninterested in shopping online. Um, and so this could be explained by a few things. Um, so most were receiving between 250 and 750 a month in SNAP benefits, and it was not currently an option to use their SNAP benefits to buy groceries online at the time. So that could have led to an, a lack of interest in, in shopping online. Um, there were two participants that did not have internet capable device, any sort of internet capable device at home. Um, and, the, you know, the other reason could be that, you know, at the time online shopping was growing in popularity, but most people were still shopping in the store. And so, you know, I think COVID changed things a lot. And um, as more and more people do it and it becomes, uh, people get more comfortable with it, then I think, you know, that that would, the interest would grow over time. Um, and then the second sort of surprising finding was that many valued the experience of grocery shopping. Um, many, many of our participants brought up that, you know, it was an opportunity to spend quality time with their families or loved ones, um, that it was, you know, a social event or fun family activity. Um, and one actually mentioned that she brought her older children to the store to teach them about exercise by parking further away in the parking lot and to teach them about purchasing groceries for the household. Um, and so this, this makes some sense if we think about, you know, this is a different finding from the, the study in the, in the Bronx, 
um, because of the, the context is very different. In Las Cruces, there's a limited number and density of community resources and amenities, which supports the idea that grocery shopping might be considered um, a fun activity for, for some types of families. And of course, people just, just differ in their preferences. And some of the limitations of our study, um, you know, because of the small number of SNAP participants, the specific geographic area, and uh, the fact that most of our participants were women and younger, uh, we're limited in our ability to generalize the findings to the larger um, SNAP population or SNAP recipient population. Um, and so these may differ, the, the participants that we included might differ in their attitude um, related to online shopping from older participants and men, although uh, the men and women in the study did not differ in their, in their opinions. Um, and then there could be some selection bias in that those willing and able to participate in the focus groups, which mostly took place during the day on a weekday, uh, may have differed from others in their motivation to shop online. Uh, most of them were also from a, an employment program and may been under or unemployed and had more time to shop um, and, you know, maybe fewer resources. And so it, they probably differed um, in, in terms of their, their opinions and attitudes around online shopping compared to other SNAP recipients. Um, and then adding to that, there's a limited range of perspectives because uh, most of our participants were from what work program. And then finally, our implications uh, for research and practice. Um, so overall, you know, we, we saw, at least in 2018, uh, a slow adoption and, and unwillingness to purchase Helpful foods um, online, uh, which could be could have been a possible additional challenge, um, in addition to the setup and security that is involved in, in online shopping and, and online shopping using Snap. Um, although I think that's um, gotten probably gotten better with time, um, and online purchasing using Snap benefits might be helpful for certain uh, groups that might be at risk for. Uh, food insecurity, including older adults, homebound individuals, individuals with disabilities, and those in rural areas without vehicle access. Um, although I will note that there are many, you know, rural areas that are still struggling with, um, with internet access. And so that's likely still a barrier to, to online shopping for many. Um, and additional research should explore new things, right, that, that sort of came up as part of this research. So um, the interest in potential purchasing decisions by individuals who would benefit from using SNAP benefits online. Um, research is also needed to explore the types of nudges and services that stores could offer to encourage healthier food purchases uh, by SNAP recipients. And then finally, uh, to investigate the role of nutrition educators uh, in, in this whole process. And um, so we actually are, are wrapping up a, uh, another qualitative study now. We've interviewed SNAP-Ed and FNEP coordinators and educators to um, ask them about you know, what kind of education they're providing around online shopping, where are the needs in terms of education around online shopping among their audience, um, ways that they think that stores can improve their websites to encourage healthy and economical food purchases, um, and things like that. So it's it's a, a natural extension of, of this work. And I uh, finally want to acknowledge our research assistants who worked on the project, um, the data collection and analysis, Kelly Shaw, Rebecca Goldberger, 
and you can uh, read the full paper that was published in the Journal of Nutrition Education and Behavior as a research brief. Um, here's the, the citation for you. And then I will open it up for questions. And thank you. Thank you so much. As people have questions, if they can put those into the question box, then I will moderate those out to our speaker. Um, as you are looking through what you found with this project and what you're um, what you're looking at with the next project, um, what are the biggest changes you've seen with the pandemic? Yeah, I, I'm happy to share share my thoughts and then and then invite Joanne to jump in as well um, as you know her perspective from federal government work and that that side of things. But I have definitely so we we completed this work in 2018. Um, I think it was published in 2019. And so it was well, well before the pandemic and um, well before, you know, online shopping had really taken off. And so from at least what I've seen on the ground, it seems like there's a lot more online shopping happening now since the pandemic. Um, I think that a lot more stores, you know, we, we've seen more stores in more states being added. Now it's an option for SNAP recipients to use their benefits online. And so you're seeing a, a greater expansion of, of those offerings um, sort of on the ground for SNAP recipients, which is great. One thing we noted in the paper is that at the time, uh, and I'm sure this is probably still the case, you know, we didn't really know about SNAP recipient use of online shopping. There was really no data out there. Um, and so that was one of the, the motivators for this type of study. And, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that's really increased. I would guess it has a little bit. Um, but I will say in our conversations with SNAP-Ed educators in particular, um, you know, who work very closely with, with individuals who are low income and likely receiving SNAP benefits, is that they've had a lot of questions since the pandemic about online shopping. And so one of the things we're, we're sort of learning in this, this new project is that there is some opportunity to provide additional education, you know, whether that just be showing, you know, participants or showing the, their audience um, how to actually get online and shop, telling them which retailers allow online shopping, um, and just giving them more information about how the process actually works. Um, Joanne, do, do you have anything to add on that? Or at least well, one thing, um, maybe I can put this in the chat. I'm going to put um, a link to um, a, a publication from the Economic Research Service, which gives some data on SNAP online purchasing and how it expanded in the first two years of the pandemic. And it does show growth in online shopping as um, Stephanie mentioned. Although even at this point, it's less than 10% of SNAP shopping. So it's still a very small share. Now the question as stores open, things go back to normal, Will it continue to expand? I, I think you can look at it a couple different ways. People, there, there might be some people who increasingly get the hang of it, feel comfortable with it, see benefits, the kinds of people Stephanie mentioned that 
for whatever reason, getting to the store is difficult. And then there are other people who will want to pick out their own groceries. So it's something that I think uh, as the data unroll, we'll see whether this becomes a really big part or kind of a niche part. Either way, you can see that um, more and more stores are having that online option in most states. And um, USDA is very supportive of that. And there are probably will be at least some people who will make regular use of it. So the question of how we can encourage them to make the best use of their SNAP dollars, healthy, economical, online as well as in person, that's, that's certainly an, a relevant question for nutrition educators, particularly those working with low-income and SNAP populations. Yeah, thank you. Do you have a good feel for are the same stores that allow SNAP benefits also allowing online benefits use, or is there a discrepancy between where you might be able to, to use the SNAP benefits? Well, they'd have to be approved to be SNAP retailers first. Online yeah. would just be an option. Yeah. Right. So, so there shouldn't be, uh, yeah, right. There shouldn't be any store that offers SNAP benefits, anyone to use that benefits online that's not offering that in the store. Um, but I, I don't know, Joanne, if you have a, you know, any thoughts on this, but I know that there has been some research coming out about, you know, dollar stores and things like that. So the types of retailers that SNAP recipients might be shopping more at um, versus, you know, those that actually offer online SNAP, um, online benefits or to use online benefits? Well, with low-income people in general, there's, there's a shift to more use of dollar stores. And, I, and, I, and maybe just a, a shift in, within America to uh, more dollar store activity in the grocery retail sector. And I know we have publications on that, and I don't know if I can find something immediately, but if you go to our website, www.ers.usda.gov, you can take a look at that. Now, whether dollar stores are very active in the online space, because there it might be a different kind of capacity, running the website, having delivery. Um, I, I don't think, I don't know if they have become players in that space, but Dollar stores are increasingly a large share of, of grocery items. And um, that may be more true in some parts of the country than others. I believe, for example, in rural areas, they're becoming a big share of the food purchasing options, taking over maybe from the sort of independent grocery stores that might have operated in those areas. So um, those are two big trends to look at, which both might impact food choice and diet quality, but maybe not necessarily the same trends. Yeah, yeah and something with discussing, having discussions with our educators and coordinators too, is that at least, you know, and this is specific to New Mexico, but in many of the rural areas, they do ex experience you know, these cases where they only have a dollar store and, you know, the, the retailers that are operating in the state, which have expanded recently, but at the time of the study was just Amazon and Walmart, um, wouldn't deliver to those areas. So, you know, that's, there's definitely an issue with 
with access in terms of online shopping to, to more rural areas still. Well, that's really interesting to think about that shift and how, how we shop and where we shop for, for sure. Um, I know we have someone with their hand raised. I'm not sure, Rachel, are we able to unmute people or do they need to put questions in the chat box? Oh, yeah. Um, I was going to say, Sharon, I see your hand raised. Let me go ahead and open your microphone. Uh, maybe. Hold on. Yeah, Sharon, you should be able to unmute if you want to ask a question. Or if anyone else wants to ask a question, just <laughs> raise up your hand and we'll let you do that. Well, if, if nobody has a question, oh, and we still have some time, I guess one comment to make is that, um, the USDA, and actually, if you look at the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, Health, their strategic plan, there is an interest now also in facilitating WIC online shopping, which, you know, is, again, a topic that it would be interesting to take a look at um, how people view the pros and cons, whether they... It, are there groups that it is more or less effective in facilitating access? So I think for, again, for nutrition educators, that that's a topic that could be very much of interest. Oh, I think I see a question in the chat. Are there concerns about misuse of SNAP benefits with online shopping? Um, when the pilot, you know, the, the SNAP pilot, the idea of a SNAP online purchasing pilot predates the pandemic. Um, it just accelerated because of the pandemic. It, it was back to um, the farm bill that was before pandemic. I can't remember right offhand which what year that was that that farm bill was passed. But, you know, because um, program integrity is always a concern, that was a factor in um, rolling out the pilot. Um, I think that when they started working, identifying stores that would be the initial ones to work with the, with the pilot, they tended to pick ones that had very developed um, electronic sales capacity already, like Amazon, obviously, or Walmart, with the idea that they would be better able to implement integrity systems. I have not heard of any problems with program integrity that come with the SNAP online pilot but you know, it's obviously always something that the program looks at um, and will continue to look at. But I don't know of, of any any um, issues that have come up so far. 
what kind of feedback did you get from people who received food during the online pilot, particularly about the produce and food that they were concerned wasn't going to be good? So I'll let Joanne jump in in a minute as well. But so we we were working, you know, in, in this study, we, we participants were not able to purchase online. But, you know, the reason that the study in the Bronx took place was because participants weren't using their SNAP benefits at all. So it, you know, and then what came out of that was concerns over the, the potential quality of, of the produce and, and other perishable foods that they might be getting. Um, so that was, you know, in particular, specifically to, you know, what our participants said, they just said, you know, bulk items, things that are kind of non-perishable packaged foods. I'm fine with, per I would be fine with purchasing online, but, you know, anything that's perishable or, you know, like I, I, I worry about the quality that someone else will choose for me, or I don't trust them to choose the appropriate quality, um, things that need to be refrigerated, you know, they just were concerned about the lack of transparency, you know, how long would this be sitting in a bag before they, you know, deliver it to me? Is it going to be delivered in a bag that was refrigerated or, you know, somehow, somehow refrigerated? Um, how long would it be sitting at my door? You know, I think it was more so, you know, the, the lack of clarity around what the process would look like that people were really concerned about. Um, I don't know, Joanne, if you know anything about how it's going in terms of what people are purchasing. Is, there, is that kind of breakdown shown um, in any of the ERS work in terms of- Well, I don't think we have that kind of data yet. Um, you know, we do collect, or we don't collect, um, we, we purchase scanner data, consumer panel data that I believe that people are going to be looking at to try to get a better handle on some of those things. Um, I was in a um, meeting that was sponsored by the Center for Science and Public Interest that was looking at some of those topics. And one of the things that they did was they engaged people who were um, from the community, uh, stakeholders, as well as people from um, the commercial area and researchers. And I think some of those same things come up I mean, there are certain areas where people feel more particular about their food and picking it out is a big issue for them. And I think it's really, it must be, it's going to be a challenge for anybody who gets into online um, food sales in a big way or people who rely on it because it's, it can be very specific. I mean, some people might want, for example, their bananas not to be too ripe because they want them to last all week. Other people might want them say, oh, well, I don't want a bunch of green bananas. I, I think we all have our very particular tastes when it comes to those sorts of things. And I can see it being a challenge, not only for the online food purchasing, but some of the strategies that people were bringing up kind of in conjunction with it, like for example, people saying that they liked the idea of a sort of food as medicine pilot where um, even meals that were designed 
to their particular needs because of conditions like diabetes or high blood pressure or whatever were delivered. And I could really imagine that being very beneficial to some people, maybe people who, you know, have trouble managing their conditions or are, are more limited in their mobility. But again, it's, it's kind of, it would be kind of a challenging thing to do with the online process. Of course, there are some grocery stores, more grocery stores um, than in the past that employ nutritionists. And I wonder if, and there are some insurers, I believe, in some states with Medicaid that offer some assi assistance and some benefits around some of those issues. I could see it being very beneficial for some people, maybe not a huge part of the market, but an important niche part of the market that could really support health for some individuals. Well, I want to thank you both so much for being here and sharing your work with us. I think that's all the questions that we have. Uh, so at this point, I can pass it back to Rachel. Yes, but thank you very much. Um, appreciate the presentation today. Uh, just a reminder, there's a short survey when I close the webinar and your feedback is appreciated. And then watch for an email. It probably will arrive tomorrow um, from Zoom with a follow-up uh, with the recording, the handout, and your CEU certificate. Um, and then Journal Club, we've got two more weeks. Um, note on the calendar, the next Next week's start time is an hour later. Um, next week's start time is at one. Um, so be sure and watch that notification on your calendar. Um, and if you haven't registered for the next two journal club sessions, please go to the SNEB website to do that. Uh, and then also a reminder about conference registration. If you want to register for the lowest available rate, you can do that through May 1st. Even if you just go on and ask for an invoice that you need to pay at a later point, um, that invoice will lock in the lowest rate. So trying to share that news with people um, who want to take advantage of that and are planning to attend conference either in person, hopefully in Washington, D.C., um, or we are going to live stream all of the sessions from the main session room. That's about 19 hours total. Um, there is an option to watch that as well. So um, again, thank you. Any questions, um, please reach out. Um, but we look forward to seeing you back next week on another Journal Club.